Hello, everyone. Welcome to Guide Collective. This is another live streaming version of the amazing, awesome Eastern Approaches podcast. I don't really have to say it's the most awesome podcast around, but, you know, I, I guess I will. Or if I don't say it, Ben, ben Curtis will say it. I'll totally, yeah, it's, it is clearly the most amazing podcast, bar none. <laughs> exactly, exactly, and um, uh, we're, we're doing a special live thing this week because uh, the Guide Collective decided they were going to take vacation, so they said, Andrew, come on down and, and do something, and uh, I want to do something special because, heck, we haven't had a live stream a podcast for a while, and inviting a very good friend of mine who lives not far from me, uh, Peter Zinkin. Welcome aboard the podcast, sir. Thanks very much. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Peter. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we got to add some new blood into this uh, podcast because I think, you know, people, you know, it's just Ben and Andrew. It gets, you know, kind of old. People, people have heard our rants already. I mean, if anyone's listening, they've already heard us ranting about the things we rant about. So. Yeah, so, so Peter, what we're saying is it is okay to go on a rant. If, mm -hmm. you, if, you, if, you, if you're so inclined. So um, Peter lives uh, in Balaton, uh, on near Lake Balaton in Hungary. Um, he's actually lived in all sorts of places that either Ben and I have lived in or would like to live in or probably discussed on that podcast when we talked about where we might live in Eastern and Central Europe if we didn't live in Prague and Slovenia. You've been in Piran, Slovenia, Porto hmm. uh, not Porto Rosa, Croatia. Huh. Sarajevo, um, Sarajevo, <laughs> Tallinn, Estonia, Estonia. Yeah. Um, and, and and probably some other places too. You you've been in Budapest before. Yeah, I've been uh, many places in Hungary because my I'm Canadian, but my parents were both born in Hungary. So awesome. you get around, my friend. I, that is impressive. <laughs> yeah, and so one of the things that one of the main things we're going to talk about today. Because, well, one, we're all expats, but, but Peter's basically, you're retired in Hungary. Let's talk about Hungary as a destination for Americans, Canadians uh, to retire to. Um, I guess it's working out okay for you? Yeah, definitely. It's uh, obviously, as I said before, with my parents being Hungarian, that has a, a little something to do with it. But uh, overall, uh, I've got a lot of uh, uh, just a little background too, because we didn't really say what I did. Why did I live in all these cities? Uh, mm. I think most of the CIA. people joining us are, are either Canadian or American, I would suppose. But uh, mm. uh, I was a tour operator, tour leader for the CAA Quebec, which is like AAA in the States. Mm -hmm. And that was for about a dozen years and primarily in Central Europe. So in Croatia, Slovenia, and then the Baltic countries also. So that's why this area is very, very familiar to me. And I didn't really plan on retiring right away, but then something happened last year that we all know about. And so uh, one thing led to another, and then I said, why not? But I'm still, obviously, we're always, always working. But uh, yeah, it's uh, historically um, non-Hungarians, Germans, Austrians. So Western Europeans have been coming here as retirees for, I mean, as long as I can remember. And uh, in the last couple of years, uh, there's been a lot of interest and actually a lot of people have moved here uh, from North America, but also from uh, other Western European countries. Uh, Holland, there's a big Dutch population, there's uh, <laughs> France. And now quite interesting because of uh, Brexit, uh, there's a, a lot of British people too that are hmm. already here or, or coming here. Interesting. Yeah. They they came for Lake Balaton. They stayed for the goose fat and langosh. I don't know. Yeah, the goose. The, yeah, the goose fat and langosh. Uh, uh, one of those. One of the things. But uh, uh, historically, let's let's go there. Uh, when it was uh, the communist times, uh, especially East Germans uh, and mm -hmm. and Poles. The only place they could travel uh, was to the other communist countries, the other uh, Iron Curtain countries. And Lake Balaton, for those who don't know, is the largest freshwater lake in, in all of Europe, basically. And so this was a prime holiday destination. And then, you know, when the Berlin Wall came down and, and everything changed, well, many of those people already knew about Balaton. 
So then uh, they decided why not come and retire here also. So especially a lot of Germans, a lot of Germans. And obviously they can get in their car and drive back to see family in Germany or vice versa. Uh, so. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, Andrew, you look like you're about to ask a question. Your yes, mouth has that question asking mode. So, because uh, it's tied in with, uh, with the Germans used to go there. So outside of Budapest, uh, uh, and it's getting better in Budapest, but I haven't traveled too many other places in Hungary recently, is uh, it used to be that Hungary was not as easy as a lot of other countries with English. Um, uh, and assuming you've got Americans or Canadians, you're probably going to come with English and or some Spanish and maybe, you know, in your case and a few other cases, French. So like Balaton now, um, is, that, is that a place in some other and other spots in Hungary outside of the capital city, places that, that the English is improving or you think people can kind of get by because Hungarian is a really difficult. No, Hungarian is, uh, Hungarian is, is as tough as any one of the Chinese uh, dialects almost. Uh, I'm very, very fortunate. Again, I was born in Montreal, but my parents spoke to me in Hungarian from day one. So, I mean, I was born with it, but I have had a lot of friends who've tried to learn it and it's, 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 it's really, really difficult. But yeah, to answer your question, um, about right about when the Berlin Wall, that, that time, uh, the second language here, and even in Hungary, I would say, was pretty well German, okay? But especially in this area, because we have Austria, which is of course next door, and, uh, and Germany. But what has happened in the last, I would say 10 years or so, especially the younger, the, the, the students, uh, we have a couple of tourism and hotel schools here. Every single person that I know is learning English as the second language, mm. okay? So, so the, uh, because, uh, I mean, the German who would come here in many cases knows English, okay? So that he can get by. But then um, right about 2007, eight, we have an airport close by where we had Ryanair and, uh, and different companies like that flying here with British tourists. Huh. And of course, uh, if you only speak German and, and uh, Hungarian, it's, it's not, not too positive. So uh, I wouldn't say their English is like on a, on a Croatian or Slovenian level, you know, when you're in, into those countries, you're even Prague or Budapest because of the big city. But yes, you can get, you know, if you have English, you can get by anywhere, uh, just about every shop, every, every uh, hotel, and the restaurants especially, like every single restaurant has menus in about five or six languages. And uh, I, I, I can tell you that the waiters and uh, all the staff working in tourism, I mean, English is, is pretty well a must right now. And the, uh, uh, it, again, over here locally, we have a lot of Russian, a lot of Ukrainian who come, and of course, they also, well, some speak Russian here, but if they don't, then the Russian or Ukrainians are also speaking English as their second language. The only ones who are a little bit tough are the French from France. I mean, they don't like to speak anything but French, as, as I well know in Quebec when they come and visit. But uh, even them, sorry, but they, they, they have to get by with, with English. So it's, it's not a problem whatsoever, uh, to, you know. The only, obviously, if you go into a, an office or some bureaucratic thing where you have to arrange some paperwork, uh, then yes, you might bring myself or someone else along who will be a, a translator. But other than that, there's no problem. So moving to Hungary, rent Peter for yeah. a few right. days. Anytime, anytime the, uh, whatever the version of Upravna Anota is there, uh, the municipality or, or whatever government office where you have to deal with paperwork and bureaucracy, you do not, trust me, and I was just there in the Slovenian one today, you do yeah. not want to be there on your Eng English only island. It is not a good place to be. <laughs> that's, that's why my wife speaks Slovenian. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, when I lived in Croatia and Opatia for two years, I mean, there it was a little bit better because there the English is, is you know, quite common. Estonia was absolutely no problem because, I mean, they speak English almost better than I do. Uh, Sarajevo was a little bit of a, a, an issue, but there too, they, they, they spoke English. But uh, again, um, uh, to talk about retirees, and I, uh, again, if our audience, I think, is mostly Canadian and American, I, oh, I would yeah. suppose. It's, we're 100% North American. Okay. So very, very important, first of all, uh, to know is that Hungary is, of course, in the EU. 
but it's also in Schengen. And I think everyone here may know what Schengen is, but if you don't, it's uh, the grouping of uh, countries where you have no borders. So basically from the Hungarian, uh, Serbian, Hungarian, Ukrainian border, you can go all the way up to, to France uh, without traveling across any border controls. Um, and, and, but here's the interesting thing, what most people don't realize uh, that you can stay in Hungary, like Austria or, or Slovenia, for 90 days with a Canadian or American passport. But for instance, Croatia, even though it's in the EU, is not in the Schengen zone. So you can stay 90 days within a 180-day period, but you can cross into Croatia and from Croatia into, for instance, Bosnia uh, or Serbia or any of the countries in that direction and stay for another 90 days over there. Okay, so what I'm trying to say is a retiree uh, can come here and most of them want to uh, maybe live six months in Europe and six months in their home province or state, depending. So they can do that without even getting any special added permission. Just, uh, you know, they can spend a month here, hop in their car, drive over to Croatia or Bosnia or whatnot, spend a, a month there, then come back. So it's a combination where you can definitely uh, do it. But if you do want to stay in Hungary for six months or longer, especially for retired Americans or Canadians or British people now because of the Brexit, then again, just with the government offices, there are ways to, to extend your 90 day stay. It's not a problem at all. Yeah, so maybe we, so on that topic, why don't we talk a bit more about it? So um, what's that like? Do you know, I mean, I don't know if you have a Hungarian passport. So if, you, if you're kind of literally, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I've, I've decided for, for many reasons, but I've stayed on a Canadian passport. Okay. hundred okay. percent. So some, some countries make it easier than others to um, kind of, if you, if you're coming say from North America and you want to retire there, like I know, I mean, I'm in Spain right now, even though home is Prague and Spain has this non-lucrative thing where it's kind of the retirement visa you can get and you apply for it from exactly. your home country. Portugal has a really popular one because it has kind of a tax holiday for the first 10 years. So what's it like? Um, what kind of hoops do you have to jump through if you wanted to say, um, deal with the visa bureaucratic stuff if you're retiring to Hungary? So if you wanted to retire to Hungary full time is what you're asking? Yeah, let's say, okay. or you wanted to stay there more than more than the 90 days and 180 days. Yeah. So as I, very similar, and I, I know about the Spanish one and the Portuguese one. And they have similar programs here because, again, as, as you fellows know, even though we're all in Schengen countries, each country can decide on itself mm -hmm. what kind of uh, visa they want to give. It comes back, uh, what we'll talk about later, even the digital nomad visa type of thing goes from country to country, not from Schengen to EU. Okay, So it's the same thing here in Hungary. If you come here as a retired person, with a, with a Canadian, we're again talking Canadian or American pension. So you can show that you're supporting yourself. Uh, every town has a so-called government office, okay? It's near the city hall. And, and you just go in there and fill out the proper documentation. And their main criteria is, can you support yourself, number mm. one. Number two, obviously you're gonna need an address here. So whether it's a rental property or whether you decide to buy property, and we can talk about prices a little later. So that's also very important. And, and the, the health insurance and things like this we talked about. So it's, it's, it's definitely possible. And if someone wants to, they could even apply kind of for a landed immigrant or, or a Hungarian uh, passport. You could have both a Hungarian and a Canadian passport, for instance. So it's, it's not a problem. Yeah, after like five years or something like that, can yeah, you, or I, is it 10? In Hungary, I believe it's three, but I oh, have to, yeah, but if you wanted to get a, here's the thing, if you wanted to get a Hungarian passport, you have to go through a Hungarian language test. Right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty daunting for most people, I get it. Exactly. What I, what I would recommend, though, for anyone uh, who's thinking of retiring here, as I said before, before going into all the, the hoopla and all the, you know, all these uh, government offices, definitely come here as a tourist on a 90 day very no problem just like anyone else uh, and check out the area and you know talk to people and again it could be other retirees or myself or anyone else and kind of get a feel for the place and i think after a month or two 
you pretty well have a good idea of what's going on. And there are uh, professional services, professional agencies who will, you know, take you by the hand and guide you through the whole process. Yeah, I used one of those when I when I moved to Slovenia. Just exactly. Because, you know, it's 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 a big. I mean, that was a little bit different. That wasn't like, oh, maybe I'll move here. It's like I am, and I've got you know three other members of my family, and I have to consolidate everything I own to almost nothing. So when I, when I show up, everything better like I better have like dotted dotted the eyes and crossed the t's correctly. Uh, you know, and made sure that I, I understood all the little details and, and, and what have you. So I, I was just reading an article today and it kind of surprised me, but uh, it seems of all the retirees here who are non-Hungarian, uh, something like 50% are actually singles, actually people who came here alone. Uh, mm. So whether, whether they were widowed or divorced or, or whatever, but uh, just like myself, I mean, I'm, I'm here alone. And then, of course, you, you've got family and friends and people who come and visit. And, and uh, so, yeah, I was surprised by that figure, but it's uh, it seems to be so. I'm super, super surprised. And I just I mean, anybody who's listening, if you we need to talk about, Peter, why you chose Hungary and Balaton of all the other places you'd live. But but now there's one reason you just given us and that people listening should think, keep in mind, like it sounds like a swingers paradise, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, that might not be the first key of uh, for a retired oh, person, but no, definitely. Uh, um, again, why I chose it, it's it's a little more simple because, of course, of the heritage and and knowing the language, which makes things a heck of a lot easier. Mm -hmm. But also, I mean, I'm still connected to to work. I mean, we're always you know involved in 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 tourism and and different things. Um, but again, uh, why Balaton? And it, it's. Uh, when I, Andrew would know this because he knows me personally, but uh, when I first came here, it was, it's exactly been two years. It was in 2019. Uh, literally, I got off the plane the 12th of March and uh, exactly one year later is when, when the virus started, Oof. you know, uh, because my, my, my plan was to, to stay here a few months and not definitely like retire here, but, you know, go back and forth to Canada. I have family and kids and grandkids and whatnot there. And that's what I've been doing for the last 20 years anyway. So, uh, but then um, to, to bring us up to date, when, when the virus hit last year, actually this place where I am, this kind of touristy, very uh, super nice place, which is very busy in the summertime, but quite off season in wintertime, it was one of the safest places in Hungary to be uh, because you weren't in a big city, you weren't concentrated with a lot of people. And, uh, Lately, in the past few years, many, many, many Hungarians themselves have moved down here because with the highway system, with the transport system, uh, uh, we're exactly 180 kilometers from Budapest. Uh, and there's a six lane highway almost if I look out my window, it's about five minutes away and it's uh, 130 kilometers an hour on the highway. So you can make it there in 90 minutes and the train system has improved dramatically. Uh, from here in Keste, where I am, it's a two-hour train ride. One hour, every hour, there's a train. So every hour around the hour, there's a train, and I mean, it's it's great. So uh, transport, the safety is very important. That's what a lot of people ask me about. You know, can I walk out on the streets at night? Absolutely. And the people are exceptionally friendly, really, really friendly. And this whole area, Balaton and uh, Havies, which you may or may not have heard of, is the the second largest thermal lake in the world. Okay, so uh, Havies, where where I am, it's five minutes away. Uh, after Budapest, it's the most visited place in all of Hungary. Yeah. Didn't know that. That's, yeah, yeah. That's we we huh. have uh, something like twenty five thousand hotel rooms and apartment rooms and whatnot in Havies, and uh, huh. yeah, because of that, uh, the, the tourism, as I said before, the friendliness of the people, and Hungarians, yes, have moved down here because now. Uh, major supermarkets and stores and whatnot have all opened up over here. In the past, you might be kind of looking for a supermarket, you know, in the wintertime because mm. they closed. Now they're all open mm. uh, because, again, uh, most people, even before home office and all these things started, many people were working remotely. Many people only had to go to their office in Budapest, say, once or twice a week. And so why not? You know, a beautiful lifestyle and uh, price-wise, it's fantastic, uh, which we can talk about after. 
Yeah, I, I did want to go there, but Andrew, I sort of interrupted the question you were going to ask. No, before. no, I was going. I was just going to ask. It's it was uh, for something a little bit earlier, but I, I I remember reading. I don't know in the last ten years that that Hungarian had kind of a call out to anyone who had some kind of Hungarian heritage, like, hey, you know, you can come here, get your a Hungarian if you've got Hungarian heritage, get a Hungarian passport. Because mm-hmm. I, I remember prodding some, a friend of mine in California who's who had you know a couple of a daughters, and I thought, hey, you know, like get your get get your Hungarian passports, give them some more study opportunities or work opportunities in the EU, because obviously Hungarian passport equals e you know EU residency yeah. and work rights and all that stuff. Just wondering if that if that's an option for for some people um, who might and I don't know what the degree of of like connection is. Yeah, um, I know because I, lo- I I I actually went for it myself because it, it starts as Andrew said, it can be one parent. Obviously, that's the first step, and I had both parents born here, but it goes parent, grandparent, any si- siblings, I, I mean, brother, sister, and I believe even up to aunt and uncle. It, it's somewhere to that level, wow. okay? Hmm. Uh, and for me, it was, uh, you know, it was a matter of getting my dad's birth certificate, stuff like this, but I started the process in March of last year when, again, the virus hit and then government offices closed, and uh, that's why I said before it became too much of a hassle I mean, it's something that I'll, I may do in the future, but, uh, you know, as I, as I saw now, you can get by very nicely with, you know, just the Canadian passport. And, uh, and my goal is to, again, kind of travel back and forth too. So even though I might be kind of retired here, but of course, I'm not limited to staying here all the time. So, uh, but yeah, as Andrew said, there is a, it's in the law that if you have a, a again, it, it goes up to the third or fourth level you know, if we want to call an aunt and uncle, the third or fourth level, but definitely a parent, 100%, a grandparent, and it may even go like to a great-grandparent. And uh, I know that, uh, you know, I blog on different uh, sites and a lot of uh, North Americans are there and they'll all say, hey, my my great-grandfather or grandfather was born in Hungary, even though they've never been to Hungary. And it is interesting for many people. And for someone who wants to retire here uh, full-time, and they do have some Hungarian heritage. I mean, that would be the no-brainer. That would be the uh-huh. easy way to go. Totally, yeah. I mean, if you're listening to this and you happen to know or watching us and, and you happen to know that you have even an aunt or an uncle who was born in Hungary or has that direct heritage and you haven't talked to that aunt or uncle in 20 years, <laughs> like ring them up as soon as we are off the line and say, hey, it's so great to be reconnected because if you can get yourself an EU passport, people like it's it's money in the bank so seriously that's that is such a a valuable thing and i didn't realize that hungary's policies were that liberal that's among the most liberal that i've heard of in the european union with that heritage stuff it is because uh, one of the one of the uh, sore points in hungary of course after world war one with the trianon and uh, you know the hungarian austrian empire which was i mean 10 times the size it is now obviously but all the bordering countries Uh, Croatia, Serbia, Ukraine, uh, Slovakia, all have a Hungarian population. And and Hungary has extended that privilege to all of those people too. So if you have any Hungarian blood and you're living in Romania or Ukraine or whatever, you can just come across and get a Hungarian passport immediately. So they're they're very uh, proud of their heritage. And again, as you fellows may know, uh, some of those countries don't necessarily look at the Hungarian uh, people in a favorable mm, light okay so it's uh but it's important and every you know we have every single country surrounding us even austria uh, slovenia slovakia uh, croatia they all have that first 10 or 15 kilometers into the country is hungarian i mean it's all mm. you know so yeah the hungarians are quite proud when it comes to things like that and they i mean it's still in the news today that they're still upset about the trianon you know that totally. happened over 100 years ago so Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's still a bone of contention. So, so on the on the number thing, I know that like North Americans who are thinking about retiring abroad, there's always these articles that come up online about retire in Mexico for less than a thousand dollars a month, this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And you know, and sometimes those numbers are kind of fantasy numbers, or it's just like clickbaity articles. Like you couldn't. You know, if you try to retire in X place on a thousand dollars a month or less, you'd be living in a grass hut with, you know, an outhouse. But so 
I mean, one of the things that I that I think would appeal to people about Hungary as a potential place for retirement is that you get like totally first world, high quality standard of living for a much lower cost of living. And Balaton got it even much cheaper than Budapest. So Peter, can you give us, I mean, it doesn't have to be your own numbers, but can you no. give us some idea of what cost of living would be like there? Sure. Uh, and, and I think the fairest comparison, and I'm not going to give any, any false figures because, uh, you know, I know all the honest figures. Mm. Um, if we look at the, uh, what the Hungarian average wage is, okay? So we're talking about a, a single person, male, female, doesn't matter, who's working uh, what we would call an, an, an average type of job, okay? Uh, and right now in Hungary, as in most of Europe, everything goes by the month. It's not how much you make a week. Mm. It's how much you make a month. Uh, Hungar in Hungary, by the way, we have the forint. So again, a, a quick fact, many of my tourists always got confused because, oh, it's EU, it's Schengen, so it must be Euro. Well, it's not, okay? And as you know, living in Prague, it's, it's you know, Czech crown. If someone lives exactly. in Poland, it's Slotty. But even though it's still Hungary, it's still EU and Schengen. So anyway, here in I'm, Hungary- I'm in Euroland. Woo! Yeah. I'm the only one. You're in Euroland. <laughs> Uh, but in Hungary, uh, a monthly, and I'm talking gross, so this is before they take off taxes or anything. Uh, and for those who are listening, the Americans, I, I, I took today's figure, uh, one US dollar gives you 300 Hungarian forints, okay? And uh, exactly about 300,000 or a thousand US dollars here is the monthly average salary, not weekly people, so it's monthly. And to be honest, yes, if someone's making a $1,000 pension, I'm talking about a single person, dollar pension, uh, they can live here on a $1,000 a month quite well, okay? Mm -hmm. Not super well, but quite well. And as I say to many of my, uh, uh, quite a few couples in, in Quebec, for instance, who are interested, North American couples, well, if it's a couple who are each earning a thousand dollar pension, I mean, you know, they, they, they can definitely live quite well here, but a thousand dollars is the average salary. And if uh, you want to live a little bit better, so you want to, you know, you want to keep the same standards you had at home. Uh, and I'm talking US dollars and most pensions, I think if people are listening to us, and these are people who are not doctors or teachers who had private pension plans in addition to their federal pension. And in Quebec, we have our Quebec pension plus our Canadian pension, which is, you know, give or take, it's similar to the American one, which, which is about 2000 Canadian dollars or about 1500 US dollars. You're living very well. Uh, a rent, I'm, I'm living in, a, and again, I can use my example, but it's a general example in a very modern totally furnished uh, two bedroom apartment. Uh, the lake is like, you know, five minutes away. And in dollars, I'm paying about $400 a month. It's pretty good, yeah. I think, I think Ben, we're, move, we're moving there. We're gonna do our summer podcast series from Yeah, Bali. And I just, I, on purpose, uh, I mean, I showed this to, to Andrew the other day. I'll, I'll put it in front of my screen. This is a bottle of Hungarian uh, Baroque, Meridian Baroque wine from Sexart. It's one of the, 20 regions of Hungary and uh, 2016, okay? And guys, you, you'll have to sit down for this, but it was, it was uh, 800 forints, which is under three US dollars, okay? So um, in a nutshell, and I think the, the best, best, best uh, for someone to understand is that if one US dollar gets you 300 forints, okay? Um, I'll try and explain it very simply. What your buying power would be at home for one dollar would would equal, let's say, one hundred forints. Okay, mm -hmm. so literally, you can buy three times as much things here for what it would cost you back home. So, I mean, the rent would be three times cheaper because I would definitely say that a similar apartment, be it in Montreal or or New York or L.A. or whatever, is going to run you about $1,200 to $1,500 a month, you know? Mm, a bottle of wine, instead of $3, will go $9 or even more. Mm -hmm. And the same, I mean, I, I'll go out and do a very heavy grocery in, in the spa or the supermarket, and I'll, I'll be hard pressed for a week to spend like $40 or $50. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's pretty sweet. And the thing that's 
that's that I love, and one reason why I mean I've chosen Central Europe as a place to live too, is that not only is the cost of living quite reasonable, but the standard of living is is what you would find in I think anywhere in in North America, right? I mean it's like it's it's safer than than in most ways in many Europe the many U.S. Uh, cities, for example, the standard of healthcare yeah. is going to be pretty good. You know, roads are good. Public transportation is better than we usually have in North America. Um, so it's like you're not sacrificing much of anything. Um, and compared to other places which are lovely, like, you know, Mexico and Thailand that a lot of kind of North Americans sort of think about or, I don't know, Costa Rica for retirement, like, okay, they have their advantages too, but like you're retiring in a high-income, first-world, highly-developed country if you go to some place right. like Hungary. Well, one of my, uh, we'll call it like this, selling points, because my clients over the 12 or 15 years with the CAA were, were French-Canadians, okay? Mm. And primarily the 45 and up age group. And, and most of these people remain my friends, you know, be it on Facebook or whatever, and I'm talking, you know, a couple of thousand people. But uh, historically, the French-Canadian would go to Florida for his retirement. Six months... Fort Lauderdale, my, my own in-laws were in Pompano Beach, you know, but, but the thing is, and that was historically fine, okay, but lately, I mean, a uh, early retiree, even 55 or 65, uh, in Florida, as you guys know, I mean, you, let's say you're in Pompano or Fort Lauderdale, you can't get in your car and drive to another state or another, you know, destination, I mean, it's just way too far, and you're limited to what you can do. You know, you can go 10 kilometers in one direction and you hit the ocean and the other 10 kilometers, you hit the Everglades. So here in Hungary, um, especially where I am, uh, and this is important for the people watching and thinking about it. If you have a car here, like, and just draw a circle, say a, a three to four hour circle. I mean, you're in Venice, Italy, you're in Zagreb, Croatia, Vienna, literally, and Budapest are equidistant. It's about two and a half hours, two hours away. Prague is, as you know, five hours away. Mm -hmm. I mean, you you can just name it. You can, uh, to me, the ocean, Opatia, which is the closest Adriatic, uh, we're 90 minutes from Zagreb, and Zagreb is 90 minutes to Opatia. So we're exactly wow. three hours by car. Uh, so there's so many things you can do. And again, uh, you know, a couple of kilometers away is, is uh, wineries and wine hills and, and all sorts of things. So it's, it's definitely much more flexible, I think, than if you decide to go to, let's say, Florida or Arizona and, you know, spend your retirement days, uh, well, I don't know, in, in a trailer park and playing golf or something. But, uh, right. Yeah, no. I think, I think one reason why it's Central Europe is it's centrally located. I mean, the thing is, uh, the, the reason why I probably have been in Budapest so many times is anytime I'm going north, south, east, west in, in Europe, I'll, I always go through Budapest. So even yeah. if you don't have a car, you're, you know, I mean, people kind of think like, oh, I don't know if I want to drive in Europe and okay, okay I haven't driven too much in Hungary, but I, but I know the roads and it's, it's like Croatia, Slovenia, it's, it's easy to do, but hey, if you don't want to drive or can't drive, you've got so many train, you've got so many train options. Well, the, this is there it. I mean, and, the, and bus. Yeah, just today, I mean, I, I have like an office in, in Havies, as I said, which is about 10 minutes away. But literally, there's a, a, every 15 minutes, there's a bus, okay? Yeah. Uh, the train system, the bus system. If you don't have a car, you can rent a car if you want to. You know, I mean, uh, bicycling actually is very, very popular. We have beautiful bike paths uh, right around Lake Balaton, which is, you know, 100 kilometers long by about six kilometers wide. And this goes back about 10 years. They made a bike path all around the lake. But now those have extended into the European system of bike paths. So, I mean, I can get on a bike and go down to Andrew's place, for instance, if you wanted to, or, you know, it, it's incredible. So, and you can, as I have, you can, you can buy a used car here, literally like get a, a good used car for 300 or 400,000 forints, which is about a thousand bucks, you know? So mm. you don't have to get a brand new car, you know? Right. And, and, and no, Peter, you were in the you were in the car business, the rental car business at once. So once again, like rent rent Peter to go and get your government stuff done, and then like <laughs> hire him for like yeah. get two hours, buy him like whatever, like three bottles of wine and a nice lunch, and have him you know uh, help you get a get a used car <laughs> and not get burned. Well, again, it's a but yeah. When I came, when the Berlin Wall came down, in my history before travel, I was with Chrysler Corporation for almost twenty five years. 
And uh, when the Berlin Wall came down, something in my veins, you know, in the blood said, maybe you should go. And I came to Budapest and set up a rent-a-car company from scratch. Hmm. And in the early 90s, at one point, we had about 100 cars in the fleet. And uh, we called it the Wild Wild West, which it was. But a lot of fun, hmm. actually. And yeah, to, today, it's, it's, you know, there's many rent-a-car companies. But as I said, if, if uh, uh, someone is living here, uh, they don't even have to rent a new car. It's very popular now, kind of almost like an Airbnb type of scenario where private owners will rent out their cars to you, okay? Mm. Or used car lots will have used cars. And uh, so it's, it's really not a problem. And because of the competition, even a brand new car, like you know your, your typical rent-a-car car is, is running like 30 or 40 euros a day. So even that mm -hmm. is not terrible. So really, it depends on the individual. Uh, when the Germans and Austrians and those people retire here, of course, they bring their cars with them, uh, you know. But I, I would highly recommend if, if uh, someone's retiring here to possibly just get a used car because you'll find there's so much to do and so many places to go. And, uh, and again, uh, obviously, if, if there's any problems with the car, well, mechanics and repairs and car dealerships are as abundant as, as they are anywhere in the world. So that's not a problem. Yeah, not a big deal to get it fixed. You've got Wizz Air too in in Budapest, which is you know it's looks like one of the one of the uh, low cost companies that will will survive pandemic uh, all right. And that's really, I mean, that might be the best of all the low cost ones in Europe as far as where they go and kind of reliability and uh, just uh, price wise. I mean, you so if you're you know you, you could take the train to Budapest, go to the airport, and see what you know probably yeah. say, hey, I got 30 bucks. Where can I fly to today? <laughs> and and, yeah. and, and no, you know, it's a, end up in, in Greece or Georgia. It's or a fact. Uh, well, Budapest, I mean, of course, before the pandemic, uh, that, the Budapest airport on a year to year basis was number one in Europe. I mean, huh. I think in 2019, they were up to like 15 million passengers a year, whereas five years before that, they were at five or something. So it was just incredible. But again, a little known fact, and uh, I think I wrote this to Andrew the other day, the closest uh, international airport to where I am is actually Zagreb in Croatia. Oh, yeah. The Zagreb airport uh, is, is on the highway and we just hop on the highway here and it's literally about 90 minutes. And Ryanair just announced uh, they're finally gonna be starting flights into Zagreb uh, starting in July because the Croatian government finally gave the okay and hmm. the funds to do that because of course they were losing a lot of tourists because of pandemic. And now Wizz Air is, is, in, uh, is in discussions with them too. So pretty soon, I think you're, you're gonna find Zagreb to be a very heavy duty, uh, low cost airport. And we talked, uh, the taxi drivers here will happily drive uh, a car to Zagreb for about a hundred or 150 euros. So hmm. if you're two couples, you can fly from, from London to Zagreb or London to Budapest for like 59 euros like I did on my last trip and uh, no problem. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking about that. I like the idea of it's like, it's, it's so, it's so like, I don't know what 1980s maybe that you just go to the airport and you see where is Wizz Air going and you, you give me your credit <laughs> card. I'm going there. It's like, okay, next flight is to Donbass in Ukraine. You ready for some conflict? I don't know. Uh, because Wizz Air does fly some pretty sexy locations, but they also are ways to get into some of the, the corners of Eastern Europe that you might otherwise not choose first. Anyway, it's a joke. It's all good. Um, but so then Peter Andrew told me that you're also trying to push or convince the Hungarian government on a digital nomad visa, which sounded super interesting to me because I was a digital nomad yeah. for a couple of years. So yeah. can you talk to us about that? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, again, if, if our people watching, I, I hope they know what digital nomad is. Um, but let's say if they don't, it's yeah. possible. But there, there's some key words in the last year, especially again, and I hate talking about pandemic and all, but I guess we have to. But one of the, one of the words that we all learned in the last year is home office, okay? Uh, now maybe in North America, we kind of knew what it was, but here, if I said home office in Hungary, they would, well, home office, yeah, but what are you talking about, you know? Well, now they all know it. But home office, uh, freelancer is another, you know, popular word. So a digital nomad is exactly, well, I think all three of us here pretty well, but anyone who can do their job without physically 
having to go into the office day after day. Mm-hmm. And I think in the last year, it's become much more, much more popular for people to be able to do their work at home. And the digital nomad, and, and you know, you go on YouTube and you see them all over the place. Again, uh, kind of not only in preparation for today's talk, but I, I just read right now, there's 5 million, 5 million digital nomads throughout the world. Wow, okay. surprised, yeah. 5 million, and they're saying that by 2030, so about 10 years from now, the million could be a billion. So 5 billion instead of 5 million. Because all, all these other, you know, like the Chinas and the Indias and mm. whatnot of the world are, are going to get into it. So yeah, digital nomad visa. Why, why digital nomad visa? Very important for Nor- North Americans, okay? And, and for our area here, very important and, and kind of a, a positive out of some negatives is because of the Brexit, the British are now just the same as a Canadian or American. So they can only come into Europe for 90 days, okay? And uh, so the digital nomad visa allows a person who would normally stay for 90 days to stay an additional 12 months, okay? And uh, the reason uh, Andrew and me know a little more, Croatia started it uh, last year. There was a, a Dutch fellow who was, who was working there, had been living there for 10, 12 years. And he approached the government because of course their tourism was down, again, a positive out of the negative. And uh, from the month of March last year uh, to December of 2020, 2020, the government actually passed the digital nomad visa law for Croatia. However, uh, it's good for me in a way because you you can learn from their negatives in a way, okay? And uh, I lived in Croatia. Most of you have been to Croatia. The bureaucracy in Croatia, I mean, is, is another level, okay? And uh, just to finish on Croatia, one of the, the key factors of a digital nomad, again, for the government where you're going to be living, is do you have enough funds? Do you have enough income uh, to survive? Um, the first country in Europe that did it was Estonia, as you may know. And I lived in Estonia 2016 and 17. And Estonia were the first ones to start it. And it was quite easy. It was quite easy to even set up your own company and, and get a card and, and whatnot. Uh, but now they've, they've kind of also clamped down because the digital nomad uh, should not be confused with the, uh, with the refugee arriving from war-torn Syria or something. Mm-hmm. Okay? And, and this is quite important. The European countries are, are really trying to separate that. So back to the, uh, the Croatian scenario, uh, the suggestion in Croatia, and, and we were a little bit involved, they were asking like, okay, what do you think the normal salary of a digital nomad should be? to survive in Croatia. And again, they were looking at, well, what's the monthly wage? And pretty similar to Hungary or Slovenia, it's somewhere around $1,000, give or take, gross a month. And and the suggestion was, okay, a digital nomad should get about one and a half times that. So about, say, $1,500 a month. And that was the suggestion. Uh, When Croatia passed their law, uh, for some reason, I guess the tourism minister got involved. And in their minds, the digital nomad was more a tourist who was going to stay in, in Croatia for a year than a, a working digital nomad. So they, their eyes lit up and said, oh, there's this rich person who's going to come mm. here. And, and they put a figure of almost two and a half thousand euros, so close to $3,000 huh. a month. And you have to prove that by you know, revenue. And I said, well, I, I know many digital nomads, and maybe some are making that money, but they don't really want to tell anyone they're making that kind of money. you know. So, and there was a few other factors that made Croatia, it made it quite, quite difficult uh, to, to, but as I said, so I gained a little bit from that example. And uh, I approached the, uh, the, the, uh, the county here because just like provinces or states back home, we have counties in Hungary and uh, Balaton, where I am, uh, Keste, it's called Zala, Z-A-L-A, Zala County. And I approached them, and the, as I said before, the town of Havies with the tourism and where I am, uh, they're also, of course, they were missing the tourists from, from this past year. And they have a mandate, and they've received actually EU funding to bring in a younger crowd into this area. 
which is quite interesting because historically, those people coming to the thermal lake were your German and Austrian and Hungarian 60 to 90 year olds who would, you know, sit in the lake and kind of what. But now, new hotels, modern facilities, but still, uh, and factually, I'll talk to Hungarian relatives who are younger, you know, say in their teens and 20s and 30s. Some of them have never been here in their lives to the Havies Thermal Lake because mm. they say, oh, yeah, my grandparents used to go there and that's a place for old people. Okay. So the, the main thing back to the digital nomad visa and what we're trying to do is to get the, uh, the local uh, county government and they're, they're on board. So they're, they're quite you know, keen on it. And we're also looking very important for every digital nomad, I think is, yeah, how much money am I supposed to be earning? And we've pretty well decided that if you're earning somewhere in that thousand to $1,500 a month scenario for one person, and you can live in an apartment, as I mentioned, but you can also live in a youth hostel if you want. I mean, you know, there's no set rules and, and have a, a temporary workspace, you know, and, and do your thing. And uh, uh, finally, which may be important also, also for you, is it's the first three months you're here on your free Canadian or American passport. And during those first three months is when you would apply for the, the, the uh, extension, okay? Mm -hmm. As we speak, of course, it's not in law or anything yet, but it's definitely uh, on the table. And as I said, with the retirees, you would do the same thing. A digital nomad could come here for 90 days, no problem, and then uh, work it from there. So hopefully uh, it'll go to the next step. And uh, again, something, a good thing from a bad thing. You know, Hungary, this part of the country, especially, I mean, you know, they're, we're not even at 5% of what the tourism was two years ago. And, and the GDP in this county is close to like Croatia. It's close to like 20 or 25% of the GDP is on, based on tourism. Hmm. Yeah, super interesting. And I mean, I'm, I'm so excited that you're doing this and I really hope you have success in part. I mean, I don't know, maybe I would even take advantage of it someday. But just like you said that like the pandemic has taught so many people that their work is actually location independent. They can do it from anywhere, right? And if you have that kind of freedom and you're not too tied down with, I don't know what, cats, dogs, plants, or whatever else stuff you got at home, you know, those kind of responsibilities, then God, why the heck not yeah. do one of these digital nomad visas? And you know what? We're going to go move to like Hungary for a year and just work mm -hmm. there, right? Like it's, it's, I, I'm, it's a, transformation in the world that has been waiting to happen and it feels like the momentum is gathering and like you say the pandemic is good thing out of a bad thing it's it's taught us yeah. that yeah. that old work office nine to five fluorescent lights uh, our commute each way doesn't necessarily have to be the the thing it, in the future it's incredible i mean uh, just one example very quickly uh uh in montreal one of my ex-girlfriend but very best friend and uh, a law firm of close to 250 lawyers, and she was the, the top, let's say, uh, personal assistant to the, to the head lawyer, okay, which on the surface, he would say, well, she's got to be in the office every day, and, uh, you know, the office is in downtown Montreal in a, in a skyscraper, and she was living 80 kilometers out of town, and, and when this came along, uh, for the last year almost, she's been working at home, and even the lawyers are working at home, okay, and, and I, I just, you know, we have a lot of uh, messenger conversations and she said they're actually, their, their business, their revenue was up this year as compared to previous years. Because somehow uh, it seems even the lawyers or herself, you can kind of regulate what you want to do at home, you know? So if you sit down at home and say, I'm going to do the next four hours of work without any interruptions, but it's also nice that you're kind of in an atmosphere that, that you recognize. And as she said, when the lawyers maybe have to either sit with a client or, or with another lawyer, then, then they do it somewhere and, and have a, probably a virtual meeting instead of a, a sit-down meeting. So it's quite interesting that, you know, the, the really type of jobs where you think someone really has to be hands-on and be in the office, and not at all, not at all. And, mm. and companies are really adapting now, you know, to, to have people working at home. So Peter, I have a question on this, yeah. and I think we've, I think you've explained it to me before. Is um, 
So with this with this digital nomad visa, you're going through this the, to the county you're at to try to you know to get and they're on board and they're going to try to get the, the the whole hungry on board. So even though of course they wanted to benefit the area you're in, this region you're in, if someone if if this gets approved. Can someone come into Hungary and say, "Hey, this is great, but I actually want to be in Budapest or in Eger or whatever"? Uh, it's, it's not. It's yeah. not. It's not specific to any location in Hungary. It's not specific. It, it's a. It's a good point. It was a question that was obviously asked, even even in the in the Croatian scenario, and even in the Estonian scenario from day one. But no, it's it's a country thing. Okay, and and again, uh, for me. To go, let's say, to Budapest, I don't know, to the parliament and, and start, you know, with, I don't know, the prime minister, Mr. Orban, and say, hey, I'd like to have a digital nomad. Well, it doesn't work that way, you know, but by, by starting it at the county level, but very important, as I said before, uh, due to the fact that this, this county is very, very uh, dependent on tourism. And after Budapest, uh, the EU funds that are coming in to Hungary well, after Budapest, this area is the second who benefits from those EU funds, okay? So, for instance, uh, in the pandemic, uh, each hotel or pension owner, uh, for each room they have, if you have a 200-room hotel or a two-room pension, each one received uh, 1 million forints, which is what, about three, three and a half thousand dollars per room, per room you have to do renovations in, in your hotel or your pension, Okay. Uh, so they're, uh, they're trying to motivate these people because unfortunately these people have been closed and not making any revenue. But even myself, I, I rented a, an office in a hotel just to be close to the scene for the whole digital nomad thing. And in that hotel too, every room has been renovated. It's a four-star hotel with about 200 rooms. They're wellness, they're, they're indoor, outdoor, sauna, pool, you name it, everything is under renovation and they haven't had a revenue client in, in the last six months, you know? So... But, uh, but they know it's going to come back. And, and yeah, Andrew, the, the, uh, that, that's my idea is to get the county on board. And then they go the next step. They, they go to the, uh, call it the county, uh, what, what we would call in the States or Canada, like the senator or the, you know, sure. something like that. And then he goes in. So they would lobby and, uh, and uh, just like they did in Croatia. You know, the first uh, Croatian, I think that this fellow talked to was the tourism minister who in turn talked to the, yeah. I don't know which minister, and then came the prime minister. And, you know, then the six or seven health and, and all, all the different revenue departments sat down and, and decided. Because we're not talking uh, rocket science. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, relatively Croatia is a country of, what, four and a half million. Hungary is 10 million. So it's not like something you're trying to pass through in the States or, or Canada or China with, you know, there's a big, big kind of bureaucracy. But yeah, the, the, the British situation really helps a lot because uh, geographically, of course, they're the closest, right? So the, those Brits who want to come here on, say, a digital nomad visa, I mean, God, for them, it's, it's a two-hour flight and, and they're here. North American, it's a little bit, you know, further away, but... Uh, yeah, so that's that's the impetus of my idea, and uh, but then what happened? I I just want to say, uh, after the first few meetings last week, the the local uh, tourism person said, okay, but what's stopping a Hungarian from from Miskolc or Nyíregyháza or 500 kilometers away on the eastern border of Hungary? What's stopping him from coming here as a digital nomad for whatever? I said, nothing, you know. They said, well, what about, yeah, and an Austrian, a German, a, a, you know, any, any Schengen or EU citizen can be here for 12 months without any, you know, uh, special things. So they saw it as, hey, this is, yeah, we can actually bring in a younger crowd. And I said, yeah, why not? So, so it almost divided into you've got a digital nomad and then the digital nomad visa person, which is the American Canadian uh, Brit, and two more would be Australian and in this area, especially, very especially, is the uh, Russians, because there is a big, big, big Russian uh, influence here. Many have bought houses here. Many have businesses hmm. here. Many of the hotel owners are Russian, and uh, they just weren't able to even come back because of, of the virus. But, uh, and yeah, and, and, you know, financially, I think they can all show the type of income that's required. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty well the idea. Uh, I, I would hope. I would hope too. I mean, one of the things I think that would be they'd be smart if they can do is make it a renewable thing. At least 
mm-hmm. at least you know have it something so you you know they could they could review and if the person's living up to the terms or whatever because yeah. I think the people who stay that who come there and like it you yeah. want them to stay because I mean then there's a better chance of them buying some property setting maybe maybe some of those people might even set up more of a business there so the money they're making is actually well, like not just spending there but they're actually generating income the, there the, well. yeah this was the this was my whole point uh, in Croatia and as I know what I did you can go to Croatia and set up a business okay you can set up a business and show all you have to show is about 600 euros a month and you can stay there as long as you want because you're the owner of the business. So I, I was trying to, I was talking to this, this uh, Dutch fellow in Croatia. I said, well, why would, I don't know, why would someone want to show 3,000 euros or two and a half thousand euros a month of revenue when for 600, you can set up a business? It just doesn't make sense, you know? So I, I really think they took it in the wrong direction. And, mm-hmm. and uh, apropos on a self-employed, this was really interesting. If you're self-employed where you cannot like show revenue, they say, oh, that's fine. Uh, two and a half thousand euros, three thousand uh, U.S. dollars. Well, just show us that you've got thirty-six thousand dollars in the bank, you know, for the next twelve months. I mean, it, it's it's ludicrous, you know. And uh, huh. and Andrew saw these too, where hotels were saying, "Oh, you're a digital nomad coming to Croatia on a digital nomad visa." Well, instead of uh, two hundred euros a day for the hotel room, we'll do you a big favor and give it to you for a hundred euros a day. But yeah, that's <laughs> three thousand euros a month. So they yeah. were just seeing like very wealthy tourists you know, coming in, which as we know is not the case. And now mm-hmm. they're finding out quite sadly that, you know, it's been open since January 1st. And, and the last I heard, I think they gave out like seven of these digital nomad visas and, and four or five of them are actually uh, men or women, uh, let's say American or whatever, who've married a Croatian who have been living there for the last seven years. I mean, it's, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, so anyway. Wow. No, I, I, I mean, I knew that there was this Croatian digital nomad visa, but you knew, you know, so much more about it than I do. And I, I knew that they'd set the, um, the income requirements surprisingly high for what your average digital nomad would work for them. But it sounds like from what you're saying, like, uh, okay, great that Croatia kind of took the fall on here's what not to do. I'm making this digital nomad visa. And now the the people who are the country's next in line, okay, well, we won't do it quite like Croatia did. And, and hopefully it will work for them like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well. And, uh, and uh, yeah, in my mind, it, even if it if they don't come out with a digital nomad visa in Hungary, okay, but yes, uh, Hungarians from different parts of the country showing up here to live here for six months or 12 months and, and neighboring countries or, you know, other European countries that can travel here, no problem. I mean, that's also a positive, you know, it'll just bring in a much younger crowd, which is honestly what this area needs. I mean, it's because, uh, as you know, a digital nomad, when, when you know, workday is over, you want to go out and, and have a drink or, or something, you know, which, yeah, you do have your typical restaurants, but I mean, you don't want to sit in a place and listen to gypsy music, you know, you want something right. a little more uh, active. And uh, so I, I think it's going to happen. And uh one last thing, I'm setting up a kind of a network of local people, like younger people, say in 25 to 45, there's already a Dutch fellow with a Hungarian wife living here who, who is a digital nomad. He just bought a house here. There's some other Hungarians who are digital nomads from Budapest who are now living here. And we'll get together once every week or two weeks and, and just you know go over whatever the government or the county is suggesting and we'll suggest stuff to them and, and see what happens. That's great. It sounds like a very organic way of, of getting it done. Yeah. Bravo. Yeah, no, I'm, I, that's great. You might, you, this, if this works out in Hungary, man, that's, that's the, your next phase of your career as you become the digital nomad visa guru for all these new <laughs> countries. Yeah, no, it's uh, all joking aside, but yeah, because even, even the local Hungarian people, well, like what's in it for me type of thing. You know, I said, mm-hmm. I, I said, look, I'm, I'm getting a revenue. I've got, you know, pension revenue and whatnot. But I, I said, for sure. I said, if, if, if let's say you or Andrew, whoever comes here as a digital nomad, chances are fairly good that your relatives from your home country are going to come and visit, you know? And if they come and visit, well, you may ask me, okay, Peter, where, where, what apartment do you suggest or what hotel or what pension or, or what restaurant or blah, blah, blah. And of course, I'll know the places. And these people will give me like a commission or something for bringing the people there. You know, that's very minor. But uh, as I see also with the um, um, blogging uh, for, for Viking, you know, the, the, the cruise line uh, on the Danube and whatnot, 
But many, many of those people too are saying, oh, you're there in Hungary. Well, we've got three free days. We'd like you to take us around for a day or two, you know? And that's the best. I mean, uh, you know, I was doing that with my Quebec clients, you know, once the group tours were over and they would come here like pre-virus, but say for two weeks, rent a car, I'd be the driver. I'd be with them like 24 hours a day for two weeks. And I mean, a great work, you know, plus they're kind of your friends, but they're also your clients. So all of this has a lot of uh, a lot of potential, you know. To uh, uh, but yeah, I'm I, I, I like to promote the area too because, as I say, they're very nice people who've been through like a lot of sorry, a lot of shit in the last twelve months. Okay. Yeah. And they don't have the Canadian or American kind of monthly survival plans, you know. Uh, there are really many are living day to day or even worse. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I, I know hotel managers who now have to become food couriers or something because, yeah. they're just, you know, but yeah, the uh, everything looks kind of positive, you know, once we're out of this uh, and Hungarian, uh, I, I was talking, the hotels are, are pretty well fully booked in July and August with internal tourism. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing happened last summer. They were open for a few weeks. The prices like skyrocketed, but because the Hungarian couldn't leave the country or he could but right. needed to quarantine on the way back so right now most hotels are pretty well booked up which is which is fine interesting if yeah. they can travel we'll see yeah hey peter we got a uh, one question in from uh folks watching is what's and i'm assuming she means at balaton where you're at what's the weather like in winter time yeah it's a good question and, and or right now in april <laughs> yeah we won't talk about this one <laughs> um but uh, uh, if we compare to uh, Budapest, first of all, which is, as I say, only two hours away, but uh, Budapest is more affected by, you know, the Alps and, uh, and a much more kind of wintry climate, whereas we're much more affected by the Adriatic, sorry, a little more kind of Mediterranean climate. But to answer the question, and very honestly, if I go back over the years, uh, and I'm a golfer and I can play golf here, I played golf here in the middle of November, where it was about 20 degrees, so close to 70 degrees, and played golf in March when it was, you know, 20 degrees. So the the the, the worst months are definitely like December, January, February. So that's, you know, not weather to go, you know, play golf, I would say. But uh, from March onwards, uh, and you can, you know, you can check on these, these graphs to see. But here in Balaton, like normally uh, at this time of year, it should be about 15 to 20, so say 60 to 70 degrees. Now, yesterday it was snowing here, which is totally, you know, unheard of. But two weeks ago, it was actually 25. So it was close to like 75 degrees. But for someone from uh, uh, like the Northeast or myself, Montreal, but say someone from Boston, New York, that area, uh, I always say there's definitely about a a two-month difference, okay? So whatever weather... Uh, we would experience, you know, in in, uh, in in September is what maybe we get here in November type of thing. So interesting. But the, and the summers are very can be very hot. I mean, you know, like I, well, Andrew himself knows. But last summer and the summer before, you can go through two weeks when it's close to forty degrees, uh, which is like about ninety ninety five or close to a hundred actually. Yeah. But the lake is again uh, next door. Uh, and because of that, you've, the humidity is not high at all. So you've always got a nice breeze. And yeah, we can bike riding or, 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 or sailing, actually, if someone is a sailor. Uh, fantastic. I mean, Balaton is, 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 you know, renowned for sailing and, uh, and golf and all, you know, all sorts of activities and sports. So I, I you know, for someone who, uh, if I compare to, as I was saying before, like a, a Quebecer who goes to Florida for the winter months, okay, well, here it may be a little bit of a combination of, of both, you know, so you, uh, you may not want to be here in the winter months, but at the same time you would, because then you go up to Budapest or Vienna for Christmas markets, for instance, which is, which is fantastic, you know, so it's mm. definitely uh, comfortable as far as that goes. And the heating costs, again, those, those are important. Your utilities are much cheaper too. Uh, hmm. Like my, my apartment and pretty well all the apartments here are, are gas, natural gas, you know, and you just, yeah, you set your thermostat and, and I've got an air conditioner, but I, I think I used it once last year because hmm. if you open all the windows and with the breeze coming in, there, there's no problem. 
So I think, Ben, that we're going to have to do a we'll have to do an update, a second episode where we get we get to when Peter has an update on the digital nomad visa and we'll just do it from from Balaton. Yeah, because it's I mean, it's it's kind of almost halfway. I mean, maybe it's a little (laughs) further for you, but it's not, you know, outrageously far away. It's not bad. This is the, I think this is the promise we can make anybody who's listening or watching right now is that the, the update, this podcast will be from the, not just Balaton, but from the shores of Balaton where Andrew, Peter and I will be sitting there in a lounge chair wearing our speedos and, and drinking some Hungarian and wine, drinking some, <laughs> some Hungarian wine and, and giving you all the update on the digital nomad visa and and Balaton in uh, in balmy well, weather. To, to be to be fair, I think we'll be to make it perfect. We'll be at the uh, Havies Thermal Lake. Ah, perfect. And, and, you know, they they've actually in the last uh, very important lot of money. I can't tell you the amount, but millions in euros, millions. They've totally, totally renewed uh, the terraces, the dressing rooms, uh, really taking that kind of old East European feeling out of it. And mm. where I wouldn't go myself, even though I was living here. And in the past summer, I probably went two or three times a week because they set up you know, beautiful terraces, lawn chairs, uh, you name it. So a much better atmosphere. And the day I can tell you the daily rent, daily not rental, the daily entry fee to use the, the whole thermal lake facilities, plus the lawn chairs and everything, was uh, three thousand forints, so right about ten dollars. I think I could. I think I could cough up ten ten bucks a day for about a week and yeah. call that a summer vacay. Yeah, and hopefully, totally. hopefully it's going to open up maybe next month. So they're saying that the terraces are going to open uh, because we're we're also oh yeah we're number one in vaccinations in Europe for some strange reason, but we are. We hit three million today, and we should be three point five million next week. And the prime minister said when we hit three point five million, uh, the terraces will open. And then that should lead to the, uh, yeah, the, 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 the bats and the thermal lakes and these types mm. of things also. So yeah, we can meet here maybe next month sometime, hopefully. All right, let's, let's, let, let, let's, let's do that. So we'll, we'll, we will wrap it up here with, um, uh, with the promise that a, another potential like live in person uh, podcast uh, not too, in the not too distant future. That, I think that sounds like a good plan, Ben. Awesome. Well, then it's uh, been great to, you know, Andrew and you have known each other for years, Peter. It's great now finally to meet you and I can say, Kirsten uh, Sepen, for that's thanks very much to everybody who doesn't know any Hungarian at all. Um, super, super interesting to hear your perspective and to learn um, all this stuff. And I hope that everybody listening and watching has a better like view of a part of Hungary they might not have known much about, but then also like, hey, you know, Central Europe is a place that you could totally put on your radar for potential retirement or uh, location-independent work in the future. Absolutely. And I'll say Kusunem Sepen too. Thank you. And I'll say Visantlatashra, which means mm-hmm. goodbye, see you later. But if you come to Hungary and you just say Sia, like see you, and they've got it from the American Sias, which means hello or goodbye, and okay is okay. And, and so there's a lot of words that you can use here and, and get by without it you know, too much of a problem. Super. And I will, I will be keeping a, a little uh, track of the comments on our Facebook here. So if you've got some questions for Peter, uh, then uh, just post them up there and I'll, uh, I'll be chatting with him and get you, get you some answers there. And if you're not watching this live, it means you'll be listening to this on our normal podcast channels. This will be up on, on uh, Anchor and uh, Spotify and wherever else we're at because I've completely Mm. forgotten where we're at. But anyway, it'll be there too, not just living live on Facebook. So thanks, Ben. Thanks, Peter. This has been a lot of fun and talk soon. Okay. Thanks, guys. Take care, guys. Have a good night. Okay. Bye. Bye.